Good morning. Welcome again to worship with us at St. John's Church. My name is Tom DeGroote. I am the pastor here, and on behalf of everyone, we're just, again, just so grateful that we get to be together in this way. Um, If you would, uh, join me. Take out your Bible if you have it with you. If you don't, take out a Bible app on your phone, whatever you have, and uh, join us in our reading, which is uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And we're going to read this as we go through the message this morning, not at the very beginning. I'm going to kind of climb through it. Um, We'll go through verse 9, so just make sure you got it in front of you as we get started. But before we do, um, let's just say a quick word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I just, I thank you again that that we get to be together as one body, and um, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the way that it has encouraged and challenged me as I have have prepared for this message, and I pray that that all of all of the things that I say would just simply bring further light on your truth, that you may challenge and encourage all those who hear, that we may draw closer together and closer to you. Um, God, we thank you for Paul and for his wisdom, and we pray for trust, that we would trust in you alone, and and I trust that we'll all know what that means on a deeper level as we read the way that Paul teaches us that truth. And so we open up your word, and we pray that you open our spirits to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, we did this, this series at St. John's. We called it Real Life Heroes, and it was probably one of my favorite series. I think possibly because I got to preach with my two sons on Father's Day. We went through all of these different heroes, real life heroes from throughout the Bible. We talked about Noah and, and Adam and Ruth and, and all different, different heroes. And when it got to Father's Day, we talked about the Apostle Paul, the author of our reading from Philippians today. And, and I had my son Evan and our oldest son Jake preach with me because Evan was just a huge fan of the Apostle Paul at that time. He was his hero. And then I had Jake, our oldest son, when Evan was done talking about Paul, come up and tell, tell the story of when he was four years old and I dropped him on the White River Trail. Now, now many of you have heard this story before. I actually told it just this past January, but if you haven't, I'll give you the short version. Uh, Our son Jake was four and we were out hiking on the White River Trail and he was tired, so he got up on my shoulders and, of course, didn't have a care in the world. And we were walking over a bridge and I still don't remember what happened, but I dropped him. I dropped my four-year-old son, and, and thankfully didn't drop him over the bridge, but I dropped him on the ground, and he dropped head first. And, and just like any parent who's ever had their child get really hurt, there was this, like, this awkward moment of silence, and then he just wailed. He was, he was just, just crying, and he ran away from me and into the arms of, of my wife, Alyssa. And when the whole thing was over and he still had, had, had tears dripping down his face, I will never forget the way that he said these words to me. He looked at me and I wanted to like grab him because I felt so bad. He didn't want anything to do with me. He just looked at me and he said, Daddy, you dropped me. He said, Daddy, you dropped me. And it wasn't like, like a statement as if I wasn't there for the moment, of course. It was... It was like a question, like, like how many times has he climbed up on my shoulders and yet never before have I ever dropped him? And so he's wondering, Daddy, how could you possibly 
drop him. And his whole little life, I hadn't done that. It's not that I was the perfect parent, but the kids trust you when they're four years old, right? Like, they trust you even enough to climb up on your shoulders. I think of myself, and I think, man, like, like some of you, I mean, you guys are, some of you are fit, right? Like, but I would never trust you to carry me on your shoulders. Like, like that's a child thing. And, and yet, that's what he was doing, and dropped him. And it was this, this harsh lesson, because, because it could have been so much worse, and it wasn't. I mean, I don't even remember there being much of a mark on his head when it was all over. But, but it was hard for him and for me, because... The deeper lesson God taught us in that moment was that we both realized that, that I am not the perfect parent. And not that I didn't know that, but we came faced with the reality. And, and, and I don't like admitting that, of course, like anybody else doesn't either. But I certainly don't like hearing my own four-year-old son say to me, Daddy, you dropped me. But it's true. It's true, and, and while I didn't physically drop him after that, I, I've, I'm sure I've let him down. He would tell you that I've let him down since then. And, and every time I tell this story in church, there's usually a line of people, uh, parents, that, that are ready to tell me after the service their experience also having a similar experience with their kids. And so we're online. We can kind of do that thing right now. If, if you're a, an imperfect parent, if you ever dropped your kid, maybe you don't want to tell the story, but, but comment on Facebook, comment on YouTube, tell us the experience, or at least tell us that we are not alone. But the, the, the reason I start there is because the context of, of that story, when I share it, at least over the years, more often than not has been when I have been sharing the passage that we're about to read together from the Apostle Paul. Now, we're in our fifth series in this sermon series called Upside Down Joy. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing it from prison in Rome, and we call it Upside Down because it just doesn't make much sense that he has joy in the midst of of the circumstances that he's facing. He's imprisoned, he can't leave, he can't see people he loves, he doesn't even know if he's going to live. I mean, all of these things. And yet, he says, and let's get into the reading, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. The Greek word for rejoice, he uses 11 times. In this short letter, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, for it is, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, I just want to stop there because, because this is something, first of all, Paul says rejoice in the Lord and then says, I'm going to write these things. These are things that I've told you before, and I'm going to tell them to you again because they are a safeguard for you. Now, parents, you know this concept, right? Like, like how many times... Have you repeated something to your kids over and over again because it's a safeguard for them? Like, like, don't run across the street, right? Or don't put your hands in your mouth. Like, that's the one we're all saying right now these days, right? Like, how many times have I told you to do this, that, or whatever? It's not that they necessarily don't hear you the first time, but it's because it's just human nature, even as adults, that we need to hear a lot of things over and over again. And so Paul says, this is important, and it's important for your safety. And so what is important? What is the warning that he's going to give us? Well, take a look. Verse 2. He says, you need to watch out. Watch out for the dogs, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. The dogs, evildoers, 
mutilators of the flesh. And, and I remember years ago, I, I read that, and I thought to myself, is Paul just getting crabby, <laughs> right? Like, like, I mean, like us, right? Like at this, at this moment, a lot of us are just getting crabby, right? And so, so, so who is it that, that he feels so strongly about that he would call such names and believes that he needs to warn the Philippian Christians against over and over again. And, and what I learned is that, that there's actually a very simple answer. These are, these are people, and they, 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 they love Jesus. They're, they're telling people to, to trust in Jesus, but they're the people that are saying to the new Christians, the people that want to put their faith and trust in Jesus, that before you get to do that, you got to put your faith and trust in a bunch of other things. That before you put your faith and trust in Jesus... There's a bunch of other things that you have to put your faith and trust in first. And and that might not even sound wrong to a lot of us. And yet what Paul says is that little nuance is so dangerous that it's something that I need to safeguard by, by telling you over and over and over again that you need to be careful and put your faith and trust in God first. And, and the reason we're going there, right, and what I think this says is, is, is that today, unlike any other time that we've experienced as a global community, we are in the process of learning the lesson that Paul is about to teach against this kind of way of thinking. We are learning the same lesson that Paul was teaching 2,000 years ago, if we're listening. And so, so what is that lesson? Well, here's, here's how he begins it. Verse 3, he says, For it is we, so those of us who trust Jesus, I'm sorry, um, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. If you have your Bible, underline that. We put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, now again, who, who are these dogs, these mutilators, these evildoers? They were a specific group of people who were Judaizing those who wanted to follow Jesus. Now, what does that word mean, to, to Judaize somebody? It would, it would be to, to force people to follow all of the Jewish law and ritual and customs of the Jewish people before they could put their faith and trust in Jesus. All of those things, all of the things in the Old Testament, which is over half of our Bible, all of the, the customs that came out of that, you've got to do those things before you can trust Jesus. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that's impossible. That's impossible. Nobody's ever been able to do it, which is why Jesus came, right? And Jesus came and lived perfectly, and then he took the imperfections of us upon himself, and he died the death that we deserve on the cross, and then he rose from the grave three days later so that we can have freedom in him, that we can trust him apart from our abilities to follow him. doesn't mean it's not a good idea to follow him and to do those good things, but it's not a contingency on whether or not you can trust Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus, and if Jesus, if God has given you that faith to trust him right now, that's all that's required. He has paid the price on the cross, which is why 
it was really dangerous for these Christians to be told by these Jewish Christians that in order to come to Jesus, you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops because Jesus himself is the one who is to be trusted. It reminds me of the lesson that I I taught my son later on that night uh, after I dropped him. I remember putting him to bed later on that night, and I could almost hear God's voice as I was just just reflecting on this experience and and thinking to myself, what what, what do you, God, what do you want us to learn from this moment? And and I sat with my four-year-old son, and I told him, I said, I love you. And I'm sorry that I dropped you. And I will do everything in my power never to to, to try to drop you again. But I also know that I am not perfect. And so this Jesus that we have been teaching you to trust from, from the moment that you could even begin to understand this Jesus that lives inside of your heart, he is the only one. He is the only one that you can fully trust with all of your confidence because everything else in your life will someday fade away. See, Jacob began to learn what most of us have already begun to learn. He went through this process and is going through this process that that even the good things in his life that he has learned to trust, like a father who loves him, at some point are going to show that they have real and true limitations. And, And the truth is, and hear this, that we don't trust Jesus until Jesus is all we have. We don't trust Jesus until Jesus is all we have. And for most of us, that is a lifelong process. And it's, it's a process that, that I believe has gone into hyperdrive that we have all been going through throughout this season in our lives. There are things that just eight weeks ago you trusted as much as my four-year-old trusted the shoulders of his father not to drop him. And, and, and then... <laughs> The whole world dropped. I mean, how many of us trusted? I mean, just, just like silly things, right? That, that I can order something on Amazon and in two days it's going to come no matter what, right? And now it's like if it's not toilet paper, it's not going to come. It might take two weeks. We don't know, right? Like, like we trusted those things. We started to rely on those things. We, we rely on our government, right? And in some ways we've learned that we can't. We, we've learned to rely on, on, on food supply and on our jobs and on all these things, that over the last two months have proven to be shakier ground than the way that we were living before. And then this week in the state of Wisconsin, right, and in a lot of other states and places around the world, there's now this push. And it's this push to return to normal and and essentially to return to all the things that we were trusting in before. And I just want to say that I want that too, like, I really want that too. I, my goodness, do I want to go have a pizza someplace, right? And, and I, want to, I, I want to give a big tip to the person whose job depends on being able to wait on us at that table. I am, I was actually, just before we started recording this, our worship team can tell you this, I was complaining. I'm just going to just admit that. I was just complaining over and over again because I'm sick of preaching to an empty church. I'm sick of preaching to to an empty church. I I want hugs. (laughs) I'm a hugger. I want to shake hands. I want to have a cup of coffee. I want all of those things. And, And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with all of those things and wanting all those things. There was there was also nothing wrong with 
the Jewish laws and, and many of the customs. If you, if you look back, like God taught his people how to live as a people. And so a lot of the laws were based on some very important things for how to live well as a society. There were, there were customs that, that were around staying clean and, and preventing disease and, and regular prayer and, and keeping community together and, and providing for the more vulnerable within your neighborhood. There were all sorts of things, even circumcision, right? That's the, the example Paul uses in Philippians here. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's good reasons to consider the practice to continue. Even in our country, it's a very common thing, and it has nothing to do anymore, for most people at least, for religious reasons. But the reason that Paul is warning against these things is because they become a grave issue when they become the things that we trust before we trust Jesus. They become a grave issue when they become the things we trust before we trust Jesus. And my fear, my fear as a pastor, my fear as a follower of Christ myself, my fear as, as someone who, just like many of you, is, is, is just simply sick and tired of life the way that it's been right now. My fear is that as soon as I run out those doors and, and grab hold of everything that I've been missing that I'm going to grab hold of those things and in response, I'm going to let go of Jesus. And I don't want to let go because I've had to hold on to him and I've had to squeeze my faith in ways that, that I haven't had to squeeze and I've had to be on my knees in ways and pray prayers that, that, that I haven't had to pray and I know that you've been in that place too and I don't want to let that relationship go in lieu of the things that I used to trust that I've now learned are not as trustworthy as him. I don't want that for me and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you either. And Paul doesn't want that, which is why he says to the church in Philippi over and over and over again, don't put your confidence in anything other than Jesus. And in case you're wondering, right, maybe you're like, well, okay, I don't know a whole lot about this Paul guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe Paul never had anything to trust, right? Like maybe he, maybe he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and never had anything to his name and, and maybe he wasn't very smart and, and maybe he didn't have all those things that, that we trust and so this is easy for him. In case, in case you think that's who Paul is, Paul wants to just make sure you know that that's not who he is at all. Take a look at this, verse four. He says, if someone else thinks they have a reason to trust in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, he says, I was circumcised. I was circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. I came from, from a good family, good DNA. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I didn't just follow the law, but I taught the law. I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, you want to know how excited I was about the Jewish customs? I was so excited that before I met Jesus, I was persecuting people who were following Jesus instead of these customs. As for the righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Every time I preach that passage, I like to translate it in what I believe is, is the theme song to Paul in that very moment. It goes like this. You probably have heard it before. Anything you can do, I can do better. 
I can do anything better than you. And that was true for Paul. It was true for Paul. He, he was always going for the next thing, and, and he got it, and he achieved it, and he had the brains for it. He came from the right family and the right people. Everything that you would want to trust, he had. He had it all. I think about this. He's like, he's like the spiritual Jewish equivalent to Jeff Bezos, right? Like Jeff Bezos, I think maybe he's the richest man in the world right now. Um, and, and I just read this week that, that soon it's, it's possible that he is going to become the first trillionaire in the world. And, and Paul was like that. Maybe he didn't have a trillion dollars in the bank, but he had the equivalent in his circles, right? But, but a trillion dollars doesn't protect you from a virus. A trillion dollars isn't going to protect you from a car crash or from cancer or from divorce. Jeff Bezos will tell you that. He and his wife recently got divorced. What Paul is saying is that that it won't protect you from death without God. And that's why he pleads in verse 9, verse 7 through 9. He says, whatever were gains to me, good things, things that we all want, but now whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them rubbish, other translations say. What more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him and not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that through which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The Greek word that, that Paul uses to describe all of those wonderful things that he had before he met Jesus, you know what that Greek word translates to? I'm going to read to you the definition. What a dog casts out. What does a dog cast out? It's a pile of something that makes the grass where it lays turn a little bit greener. You know what I'm saying, right? Right? It's the thing that nobody in your household wants to go out and throw away because it is absolutely worthless. It stinks. And Paul says that all I can think of to describe the difference between what I have now in the trust of Jesus and all of the good things that I had before is that I would look at all of those things and by comparison they look like what the dog casts outside in the grass. And the truth is the same for us. If you and I go back to normal life and we grab hold of anything, even good things, instead of the faith in Jesus that he has been forming in you and me over this season, if we let go of that for something else, it will all be for nothing. And if that happens from an eternal perspective that begins right now, that will be far more devastating than the worst pandemic ever could be because you can have the whole world and let go of Jesus. And I don't want that to happen to you, and I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want this season to be for nothing. Now, does that mean that we can't grab hold of the good things in this world that we love? Of course not. It just means... Don't put your trust there first. Don't put your trust there first, but remember the only thing, the most powerful thing 
the very being that brought you into this world and carries you through the moments when those things that you trust fail you. Don't forget, hold Jesus first. And it's a message that that carries throughout the whole Bible. It was actually part of the Jewish faith. It was never intended by God that we would trust our ability to to follow the law perfectly. And and if you read from the prophet Jeremiah, and I'll leave you with this, he writes to to a a remnant of of the Jewish people who have been literally kicked out of Jerusalem. They've They've been removed from their homes. It's been torn down, burned down. The temple's been destroyed. And, and just like you and me, they want to go back. They want to go back to normal. They want to go back home. And, and as, as, as God's preparing them, eventually they will go back home. The prophet Jeremiah, he says this in verse 17. He says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. Friends, it's been a drought. And I know that the drought isn't over yet, but but if that tree is planted by the water, the living water that Jesus offers the woman at the well, the water that will never leave you thirsty, the water that bubbles up to eternal life, then what more in this world do you need? So don't trust the things of the flesh. Trust Jesus. He'll never, ever let you go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just, um, I just want to admit right now <laughs> that I needed to hear these words this morning. And I just assume that, that maybe there's, there's some others who needed to hear it as well, but I can only speak for myself, God, that, that I long to trust things of this world that have proven themselves in the past to be so trustworthy and in this season have become things that, that I've been afraid to lose. And it's, it's shown me that I need to put my faith and trust in you. And I have. It hasn't been perfect and the ways that, that it has borne fruit, I know, is, is not because of my own ability to trust you, but it's that you put this faith inside of me that allows me to call upon your name, and I thank you for that. I thank you for, for my baptism that, that says that apart from anything that I have done, that you have marked me with the cross of Christ forever, and that I am yours. And I thank you for that promise for each and every person who's listening and who is, who is a part of what we are experiencing right now as we worship together. And for those maybe who, who didn't even know that that was a promise that could be made for them, God, I pray that, that if today is the day that they want to say that I'm going to trust you, Jesus, above all things, God, I pray that in this moment they would. And I pray, God, that you would give them the faith and the strength and the peace to be able to do that as the world continues to change. Lord God, we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive me for the things that I've trusted that are not you. Forgive me for the moments that I've asked other people to trust things that aren't you. And help us to heed the warning of Paul 
that says we're called to rejoice always in the Lord, not because the things of the flesh are always easy and fun and trustworthy, but because when we are planted in soil that is rooted in the living water of God, then there's nothing that we need to fear because you are with us and you love us. And so help us to hold on to you no matter what tomorrow brings, because we know you're the one who holds tomorrow. It is in Jesus' name we pray.